Thanks, Emmy, for uh, reading for us. And uh, let me add my welcome to uh, Ethan's. If you haven't met yet, my name is Mitch Spence, and I'm one of the elders here at uh, Living Hope Church. And if you have a Bible with you, why not keep it open there at uh, Philippians uh, chapter <coughs> 1, verse 27, uh, and uh, up to 2, uh, verse uh, 4. Let me pray for us as we uh, begin this series, as we come to this passage uh, this afternoon. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for the gospel of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you that in him, by his blood, we have all been made one, one new humanity in him, reconciled to each other and reconciled to you, our Father in heaven. And so, Father, we thank and praise you for the great privilege of the gospel of now being called your children, sons and daughters of promise. And so, Father, as we come to this passage this afternoon, indeed this entire series over the coming weeks, Father, we pray that you are speaking to us through it and by your Spirit, that you are having your way in us, that your word is shaping and fashioning us into the likeness of your Son. And we pray all this, Father, that as we go out into the week and into the world, that we live as those who honor and glorify you first and foremost. And so, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's no uh, surprises as to what's precipitated the, uh, the series uh, titled uh, Citizens. It is obviously uh, election time in Zimbabwe, and uh, people with, even, in, even within our congregation have been out uh, campaigning, whether it's on the streets or through your WhatsApp statuses and uh, those kinds of uh, things. And yet in the Lord's providence, we had this three-week break uh, in our preaching uh, schedule long before elections were actually scheduled uh, at this time. We're wondering what to do with these three weeks, and then when uh, our government placed elections at this point, we thought, well, why not spend some time thinking about what it means to behave, to live as citizens of the gospel over this uh, period. And we, we are not going to tell you how to vote. That is not the point of this series. Not only that, that would be to abuse the platform of this pulpit, which is built for the proclamation of God's words. But that you should vote is, I think, a pretty clear implication of a biblical worldview. As Zimbabwean citizens, we have the privilege and the responsibility to serve the common good of our nation. And voting is one pretty significant way of pursuing that end. But even more compelling, I think, is the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor, which remains binding on all Christians across all time, forever. And again, I think that voting is a pretty significant way are fulfilling one of the most beautiful commandments the world has ever known. And so as far as you are able, as Zimbabwean citizens, just like uh, Daniel in the last few weeks we've been reading, let us find courage in the face of evil this Wednesday. Brave the cues and the inconvenience and go and vote for the good of others, if not for the good of yourself and the good of your own family. But as I've said, we're not here to talk about, to think about, to dwell on what it means to be Zimbabwean citizens, but rather what it means to be Christian citizens, and particularly Christian citizens in the context of an election week. Because we all know, don't we, that next week, we Zimbabwean citizens, we're going to be plagued by division and disunity as propaganda cranks up, as V11s go missing, as results begin to roll in. Even now, even now we're a divided nation, aren't we? 
divided by our identity, divided by our political preferences, divided by our cultures and our tribes. And yet at the same time, we all know that as Christian citizens, we've been united once for all by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are one new humanity in him. One body, one family, Jew and Gentile. Zanu supporter and CCC supporter. Shona and Debella, black, white, haves and have-nots now, true brothers and sisters in Christ. More truly family with, with this group of people around you than with your own blood relatives. And we're called by God to maintain this priceless unity, this unity we have in the spirit, this bond of peace. Next week, thousands if not millions of Zimbabweans will be excited and elated by the outcome of the elections, whereas millions of other Zimbabweans may feel depressed, disillusioned, disappointed, even angry by the results. And then, of course, there's going to be many Zimbabweans who just don't care. They are so disillusioned by politics in our country that they feel as if they're just disengaged and unaffected. And we Christians, even here, I think, at Living Hope Church, I suspect that we're going to follow the same pattern of elation, depression, or simple indifference. Like me, you may even be utterly convinced, deep down in your own heart and mind, that your position is the position that best honors Christ. The way that you are going to vote, in your own mind and heart, is the best way that we can honor Christ. But whether you are for or against the outcome next week, we all have to recognize that no party, no government, can ever fully align with every issue given to us in the Bible. We just all have to own up to that. There is not one party, the world over, that can take into account every issue given to us in the Bible. That kind of government, that hope, only exists in the new heavens and the new earth, where one day states, church, and in fact the entire universe will be brought together under one head, the perfect and just rule of a king who sits on the throne of David, and his name is Jesus. That hope is only found in Christ, not in any political system or political party or government this side of Jesus' return. And so knowing how polarized and tribal our communities already are and will become over the coming weeks and days, there is a simple point I think that is worth reminding, uh, being reminded of this afternoon. And I don't think that it's a controversial one, And yet it is one that we're going to dwell on for the next three weeks, and particularly this afternoon. And the point is this. Regardless of how you may feel about the election, there is a scriptural principle that remains compulsory for every Christian, and it's this. Behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. There is a scriptural principle that I think remains compulsory for every Christian, Behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Or as uh, chapter 1 verse 27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so if you're wondering where this idea of citizenship uh, comes from, uh, then uh, in your Bible just just look at that little uh, footnote that comes after the word worthy in uh, verse 27. Look down at the bottom of your uh, Bible. You'll realize that this phrase, let your manner of life be worthy, may just as well be uh, translated, behave as citizens 
worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your, citizen, let your citizenly conduct be worthy of the momentous reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this idea of behaving as Christian citizens runs all the way through this middle section of Paul's letter to the Philippians. If you flick over the page with me, uh, you'll see the same root word in 3 verse 20. Uh, 3 verse 20, uh, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven. You see, it's the same root word that underlies this idea in verse 27 of chapter 1, and then all the way back in chapter 3, verse 20, saying that our citizenship is from heaven. And so throughout this middle section, from chapter 1, verse 27, all the way to chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is demanding that the church in Philippi um, behaves in a, in a way as, as citizens worthy of uh, conducting themselves in a, in a way that honors Christ and their newfound allegiance in him. You see, in the opening section, in chapter 1, verse 1 to 1, verse 26, Paul outlines the shocking depth of his newfound allegiance to Christ with that staggering statement in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. What kind of a church might we be if that statement was true of all of us this week? That for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Well, the reality is that we don't really have to guess uh, because Paul tells us what it looks like from chapter 1, verse 27, all the way through to verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And that's what this series is based on over the next three weeks. Uh, this week... Christian citizens, next week, model citizens or godly citizens, and then the final week, heavenly citizens. But this week, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's worth, uh, it's worth I think, being clear at this point, that this is, is not a, a call to behave in a way so as to somehow unlock the, the kind of favor, the kindness of God. That's not the gospel. In fact, that's the opposite of the gospel. If to ourselves, we could never behave in a way that would win the favor of God. Now, what's going on here in chapter 1, verse 27, is that this is a call to behave as those who did not deserve the privileges of God. And yet he showered us with them anyway. The most moving depiction, I think, of what Paul is calling for here comes in that uh, famous scene from... Uh, Les Miserables. If you haven't read that book, uh, it's a must. If you haven't watched the movie, I suppose it's uh, second best. Go for it. But in it, uh, Jean Valjean, uh, a convicted ex-criminal, he's living in pre-revolutionary France. He's just been released from prison, and he's wandering the streets, and no one will take him in because he's a convict. And then a, a kindly old bishop takes him in gives him some food and lets him sleep for the night. Only for Jean Valjean to make off with all of his silverware in the dead of night. But he doesn't get very far. He gets picked up by the nearest uh, roadblock, uh, if you like. The police find him and they see this this ex-convict carrying a whole bunch of silverware and they put two and two together thinking, no, he must have stolen this. And so they drag him back. They drag him back to the home of the bishop to essentially say, we found the thief. 
And as they approach, the bishop comes out and says, Oh, there you are, to Jean Valjean. You left the candlesticks as well. I gave these to him. These were a gift. The police are somewhat taken aback. They can't quite believe this story. And nor can Jean Valjean. And he goes on to live the rest of his life doing all that he can to help others in need. He has been transformed by the grace shown to him. In that moment, the bishop could have demanded justice, should have demanded justice, but chose to show grace. And in that moment, in that moment, the whole of his life was then lived to honor that gift which he did not deserve. And in a similar way, Paul is now calling all of us to behave as citizens worthy of the death Christ died for us, worthy of the grace that we never deserved. And the term citizen itself, I think it reminds us, doesn't it, that our Christian responsibility is not a a kind of transient affair, but a permanent obligation, a lifelong duty. And I think that Paul has chosen this idea of citizenship and quite specifically, because it, it, it carries the ideas, doesn't it, of, of, of privilege and, and duty. We know from history that in the, the first century, to be a Roman citizen, that was a pretty big deal. It came with great privileges. And yet at the same time, it came with great uh, responsibilities. You were expected, as a citizen of Rome, to behave as a citizen of Rome, engaged in, in advancing the interests of the Roman Empire. And Paul is playing on those same ideas, those same uh, issues here, only don't behave as Zimbabwean citizens, behave as Christian citizens, worthy of the gospel of Christ, the grace that you have been shown that you did not deserve. And I think that could play out in a whole host of ways, but specifically this week, in an election week. Think about the conversations that you are going to have. Think about the words that you are going to say. Think about the tone with which you are going to say them. Think about the messages that you're going to send via WhatsApp or email. Think about the stories that you're going to post to your profile. Think about the way that you're going to behave in the queue. Or what about when you're in the booth and nobody is watching as you cast your votes? Are you going to behave as a citizen worthy of the gospel at that point? After the results start to come in and they haven't gone your way, or they have gone your way, how are you going to behave in that moment? As a Zimbabwean citizen? As a certain political party supporter? Or as a Christian citizen? See, think about the the end of Daniel last week. For those of us who have been at Living Hope Church for the last few weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Daniel. Will you stand firm in Christ this week and resist the flattery, the power, and the wealth of evil men and even find boldness in the face of intimidation and instead, instead behave in a way that honors Christ? But to leave it there, I think, would be to fall short of the much bigger agenda that Paul has for our Christian citizenship, which he makes clear in the next few verses. And so I think there are three kind of... um, Three things that flow out from this idea of being Christian citizens. Verses 27 to 28, be actively engaged in advancing the gospel together. 
verses 29 to 30, because your, your Christian privileges include suffering and conflict, and verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2, and so contribute to a united front by killing your pride at the foot of the cross. Be actively engaged in advancing the gospel together because your Christian privileges include suffering and conflict and so contribute to a united front by killing your pride at the foot of the cross. Now read verses 27 and 28 with me. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Be actively engaged in the advance of the gospel together. Paul spells out what it means, doesn't he, to behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. And he he does so, um, I think two things stand out for me. First, this is not a solo effort, a private affair or an individual pursuit. You cannot live in a manner worthy of Christ on your own. Apart from a local church, you have, have to be engaged in the life and ministry of the church, connected to and striving side by side with other believers for the faith. And second, Paul's idea of standing firm is in fact moving forwards. Did you notice that? Advancing the gospel. This is how we stand firm, by engaging in the advance of the gospel together. This is a a, a military idea. If you're not progressing, then you're regressing. If we're not advancing, then we're retreating. And if I didn't know any better, then I would have titled this sermon, Citizen Soldiers. But we have a rather paranoid government at the moment, and so it's probably not the wisest title to run with in an election week, Citizen Soldiers. But in a spiritual sense, that is what he's calling us to here, no? Paul's calling us to be actively engaged in the affairs of this church. It's got a very kind of band of brothers feel to it. This is how you, this is how you will stand firm in the gospel. This is how we all will stand firm in the gospel. If we strive together, side by side, in Debele, Shona, Black Whites, Pro-Zanu, Pro-CCC, Old adults, young adults, students, striving together here at Living Hope Church for the advance of the gospel in Bulawayo. And this, this, is, this is what it looks like to behave as Christian citizens, to be engaged in a local church. By all means, prioritize your quiet times this week. Those moments of solitude and prayer before the Lord, those aren't necessarily bad things. I'm not saying throw those things out. But if it does not translate into active service within the local church, then it is pointless. You are wasting your time. And so get into the trenches with Jess and Musa and help advance the kids' ministry here at Living Hope Church. Join the setup team and put your time and sweat into the logistics that aid the proclamation of the gospel here at Living Hope Church. Use your gifts in music, not to build your own name, but to help us all sing of Christ's name. Prioritize Bible study midweek that serves to strengthen your brothers and your sisters in Christ, and who in turn will strengthen you to keep fighting for the gospel in your offices, 
on campus and even at home. Fund the work of the gospel here at Living Hope Church. Sacrificially give your money for the work of the gospel, for the advance of the gospel here. That's what we're about. That's where your money goes. It doesn't go into my pocket. I don't make a, a raise. It all goes to the work of the gospel here. And so however busy, however tired, however stretched, however overwhelmed with life you may be, you've got to be actively involved in the local church. You've got to be involved in the life and ministry of this church. It's what it means to behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. One of the church fathers, a guy called Chrysostom, he said this, Nothing is so incongruous in a Christian and foreign to his character as to seek ease and rest. Got to be engaged, actively engaged in the advance of the gospel together. Because, verses 29 to 30, your Christian privileges now include suffering and conflict. Again, read with me from verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Again, the military language continues, doesn't he? And interestingly, I think as with all citizenships, our Christian citizenship, it comes with a certain set of privileges. One of the great privileges I think we have as Zimbabwean citizens is that you get to vote this Wednesday. And I know that it may not feel like that is a great privilege right now, but it is. One that many of our ancestors fought and died for. And sure, it's a privilege that I think has been undermined by the political powers of the time, but don't let them rob us. Don't let them rob us of what is rightfully ours as Zimbabwean citizens. It is a great privilege to vote. Go and vote this week. And in a similar way, our Christian citizenship comes with a set of privileges. The privilege of belief, yes, but also the privilege of suffering for Christ and being engaged in the same conflict as Paul. I wonder how many of us think of our Christian privileges as being <laughs> granted, given, graced, suffering and conflict. And yet that's what it says here in verse 29, doesn't it? It's been granted, given to you for the sake of Christ, not just to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Uh, Paul's writing this from prison in Rome. He's in chains for the sake of the gospel. He knows the privilege of suffering for Christ. But I think we often term this, um, he's suffering for the gospel, which is not necessarily wrong, but I wanted to make that a little bit more specific this week. Because Paul is suffering as a Christian citizen in a Roman Empire. He's in chains because he's not behaving as a Roman citizen should, but as a Christian citizen should. He's in chains as a Christian citizen amongst a predominantly Jewish culture, not behaving as his Jewish culture demanded of him. Nothing like a little bit of, of pressure of suffering, of conflict, to begin acting in ways, to begin behaving in ways that bring dishonor to Christ, that aren't worthy of the gospel that we have been given. And this, is, I think, is, is the whole conflict behind 
um, what goes on between Peter and Paul in Acts chapter 15, isn't it? It's all to do with whether or not Peter is acting in accordance with his now newfound Christian citizenship. He's getting pressure from the Jewish elites to not be doing this and to be doing such and such. And so he begins to buckle. He begins to behave in a way that is dishonoring Christ, that is not worthy of the gospel. And Paul says, no, that is not the way. That is not the way to live as as someone who has experienced the grace of Christ. And isn't it the same in our day? A little bit of pressure, a little bit of suffering, a little bit of conflict from those around us, causing us to begin behaving in ways that aren't in keeping with the gospel. Everyone's doing it. Come on, everyone's doing it. Our tribe, our culture, we, 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 we don't do that. We never have done that. How, how come you are doing that now? Don't you value? Don't you, don't you want to bring honor to your ancestors? Who are you to not be part of us? You're part of this family. This family behaves in this way. Don't we know that pressure? Don't we know that kind of suffering? And it's easy, isn't it, for that suffering, that pressure, that conflict to begin to cause us to behave in ways that don't honor Christ? I suspect that a a huge number of Zimbabweans will feel intimidation this week to behave, to vote in ways that go against their conscience and their will. Paul is saying here, actually, one of the ways that we can stand firm, we can stand firm in that moment, as if we're engaged, actively engaged in the life of a local church. Why? Because suffering and conflict are now part of your privileges as a Christian. And we don't want to be naive to that. And so verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2, Paul calls us to, I think, contribute to a united front by killing your pride at the foot of the cross. Our Christian citizenship demands that you and I whatever our political leanings, whatever our tribal and cultural backgrounds, keep working together to advance the gospel here at Living Hope Church. And that is going to require real, robust, gritty unity that will stand up under the pressures of suffering and conflict. And so verses 1 and 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's an impassioned plea by Paul, isn't it? And it's not rhetoric. Sorry, and it is rhetorical, right? Because for those of us who have experienced, experienced the the encouragement of Christ, being comforted by the love of the saints experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the answer to all those questions is, of course. Of course we have. It's not an if, like, oh, tell me, have you or haven't you? The whole point is he's saying you have experienced uh, these things. And in light of that experience of the gospel, of having tasted the goodness of God, Paul is calling us to to unity, to, to contribute to a united front. Twice he uses, doesn't he? Twice he uses that same verb, which I've just lost. Twice he uses that same verb, of being collectively one mind, 
of setting our hearts on the same thing, of being a soul joint, of being spiritually one as a family in Christ. I've never found myself behind <coughs> uh, bars in the Zimbabwean jail, and nor do I hope to anytime soon. But I can guarantee you one thing, if I do find myself there, something that doesn't rate highly on my list of priorities is whether or not you guys all here are united in one mind. And yet Paul says, make my joy complete. That is the thing that will make me most comforted in prison, is if I know you're all standing firm in one, in one mind. Which I think just means we don't, we, don't, <laughs> we don't treasure, we don't prize unity quite like we should. He says, make my joy complete by being of one mind, by being spiritually one as a family in Christ. But that spiritual unity, that oneness, it's dripping, isn't it, with humility. Uh, Verses 3 and 4. Let each uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I confess that I personally find these some of the the more challenging verses in the whole of Scripture. Be like-minded in counting others more significant than myself. Share the same love in looking to the interests of others. The late Mozambican president, uh, Samora Michel, he once said, Unity needs daily sustenance. Collective living, working and study, criticism and self-criticism and mutual help are the food, salts and vitamins of unity. Profound insight, isn't it? From one one of Africa's kind of revolutionary statesmen. And yet he misses one vital ingredient. Unity requires humility. As Greg Gilbert recognizes, commenting on these verses, he says, Unity unity only lives where self-regard dies. And self-regard dies at the foot of the cross. And it's radically countercultural in a world that says everything is all about me all the time. But the notion of looking out for number one has no place in your Christian citizenship because it disrupts relationships, it breaks down unity, it ends in division, and it dishonors Christ who humbled himself for your sake and died on a cross that you might live. As Christians, we are benefactors of the greatest act of humility the world has ever known. Who are we to look out for number one? Every time you do something with the aim of furthering your own interests, ultimately you end up, don't you, chipping away at unity instead of building it. And that is not in keeping with who you are as Christian citizens. That is not behaving in a way worthy of the grace that you have received. And the implications, again, I think of this are are pretty endless, aren't they? This way of uh, thinking could, could be applied to almost every area of life. But Paul wants us to start right here at Living Hope Church with our relationships with one another. And so we're going to do that awkward thing of looking around the room for a few seconds. Look around the room for a few seconds. See the other people in this room. Will you kill your pride at the foot of the cross for these people? For these, your brothers and sisters at Living Hope Church? Will you strive? Will you work? Will you sacrifice 
to contribute to a united front here at church by prioritizing their welfare alongside your own. Will you vote this week in a way that looks not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of hundreds of thousands of millions of others? Will you behave as Christian citizens this Wednesday? Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lowered himself not just from heaven to earth to become a human, a baby, born in a lowly manger, but who lowered himself to the point of death, death on a cross for our sake. Father, we thank and praise you for the humility of your Son, for God the Son, who died for us, who died for our sake. Father, please, by your Spirit, would you strengthen us to behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Father, help us to see our need for one another, to be part of a local church, not just part of a local church, but actively involved in advancing the gospel together. Father, help us to know that, the, that a life marked by suffering and conflict means that we are going to need one another. We're going to need one another to stand firm, to keep advancing the gospel. And yet in all of that, Father, we're going to need to display a, a painful humility, a humility that costs us for the sake of building a united front here at Living Hope Church. Father, would you help us in all these things, we pray. And Father, would you help us as a nation this week as we go to the polls to be bold, to be brave, but more importantly, to be Christian. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.